Isn't it good to uh, sit with other people, stand with other people, and just sing a few songs of praise together? That kind of awesome. That good. These guys are doing an incredible job uh, leading us. Um, last night at uh, post midnight, we said that um, God's word uh, is useful for uh, teaching and training and correcting and rebuking and helping us become the people God wants us to be, so we can do the things God has for us already planned. We said that the Bible is actually God's word. That's what it is. It claims to be from God, created by God, uh, breathed by God through people so that we can read it and have it. And we said this morning, well, that may be nice and all for it to say that about itself, but how do we know for sure that it's actually true? And you got a chance to discuss that in your small group this morning, hopefully, about what are your doubts? And have you thought about that fact that, what am I believing? Like, do I really believe this is true? In fact, some of you in the room would say, I don't know if I believe it's true yet or not. I'm not convinced yet. And that's okay. Tonight, we're not going to talk about what the Bible is, and we're not going to talk about whether or not we can trust it. Tonight, we're going to talk about what's in it. What's, what's inside this thing, the Bible? Like, not like we're not going to read Genesis to Revelation. That would take too long, and it would be probably you, would, you wouldn't even like it. Um, but we're going to talk about the theme of the Bible. One theme, whole Bible. Now, I love stories, so I'm going to tell you some stories. My favorite story of all time I'm going to tell you, it's pretty short. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's a story to get us warmed up, okay? So there's two little boys, right? And uh, one has a really bad attitude. They're brothers, and one has a really great attitude. Everything's great. Everything's fantastic. His parents can't figure out, their parents can't figure out, what is the difference between these two boys? Finally, they get a psychologist to come in, and they say, would you look at our two boys? This one is always negative, and this one's always happy. We don't know what's going on. So the uh, psychologist took the first little boy, and he put him in a room full of toys, candy, sports equipment, everything a boy could want. He said, let's leave him here. We'll come back in 15 minutes, see what happens. He took the other little boy down to the, another, another room and opened the door and moved him in, and inside that room was a gigantic pile of manure. Poo, if you don't know what that is. He said, let's leave him here. We'll come back in 15 minutes, see what happens. So they waited, and they go back to the first little boy, and they open the door, and he's sitting there like this. They said, what, what, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you rocking on that rocking horse? Oh, I was afraid I was going to fall off and break my leg. Okay. Oh, why didn't you eat any of that candy? Oh, yeah, so I could break my teeth. How come we're not bouncing that basketball? <laughs> yeah, you want to hit my face, don't you? Psychologist said, I don't know what's wrong with this kid. I don't know. Let's go see on the other one. They go down, they check on the other kid, they open the door, and he is up to here in manure. And he is digging in it, and he is slinging it, and he is chucking it everywhere. And they said, what in the world are you doing? He said, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> huh? Yeah, great story, right? Some of you know it. Here's the deal. I, I love a good story. I love story. I can sit all day. If you got a good story, I'm all ears. I want to hear it. I want to hear all about it. Like, I want to hear the details. Like, I just love listening to stories. I think we all do. And every story has a theme. And every story has characters. And every story has, like, this conflict, this resolution, like, the good and the bad. It's no different with God's story. And God's word is his story about life to us. And I want to walk you through some of the stories inside the story 
And I want you to see if you can begin to pinpoint what is the theme of God's story? What's the theme of his story for our world and your lives as he tells his story? Now, some of these stories you've heard before, you're going to be like, oh, that's a breeze. I got it. I understand it. I get it. But I want you to listen to him with a different perspective. I want you to really look for what's the reason that story has been told? What's the point? First one is this, uh, the story of Joseph. Now, you may or may not know Joseph. You, you grew up with Joseph and uh, his brothers, and there were, there were 12 boys, and Joseph was uh, second to last, and he was the favorite. His dad loved him, and, and, and gave him the coat of many colors, and he had these dreams that his brothers would bow down to him, and his brothers hated him. <laughs> yeah, I would too, you know. If like, I wasn't Joseph, I was one of the brothers, I'd be like, I hate that kid. I hate him. Hey, you're gonna, I'm going to bow down to you. How about I'm going to punch you in the face? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bow down to you. Get out of here. So what do they do? One day they take him and they're going to kill him. They put him in a pit and they go, let's kill him. And the oldest one is like, no, let's not kill him. Let's just, let's just sell him to somebody. <laughs> if you're an older brother, you're like, I've thought about it. If you're a younger brother, you're like, mm-hmm, I think he has. So Joseph gets sold into slavery and he goes to a different land somewhere and he begins to work for this guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife thinks he's hot. Joseph apparently is handsome young man. He's fine looking young man. And she sees him and she goes, I gotta have me a piece of Joseph. I want some Joseph. So she takes after Joseph and he runs away like a good boy, like a good child of God. You know, he's like, I'm not doing that. What's wrong with you? You know, your husband, you're married. Stop it. She wouldn't stop it. So one day she went after him and he just ran away. She grabbed his cloak, pulled it off him. He ran away naked out into the streets. And here Joseph is Potiphar comes home, he's like, what happened to that baby? She's like, oh, Joseph tried to get with me. And he was like, no, no, it didn't. You, you ripped my robe off. And of course, the husband's like, nope, believe in the wife, you're going to prison. So now Joseph is in prison. He's stuck in prison. He's down in prison, and, 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 and you know, it says in the Bible, God was with him. But if you're in prison, you're like, really, God, you're with me in a prison? Great. So I can get to know the warden really nicely. That's good. It's great. I love this. It's wonderful. No, it's not. And eventually a couple guys, a baker and a cupbearer, uh, cup get um, put down there with him. And uh, he interprets some dreams for him. God helps Joseph interpret these dreams. And he says to these two, hey, if you ever get before the Pharaoh or anybody of any significance, tell them about me down here. I didn't do anything. And, and uh, you just you know, help. They say, okay, okay, we'll tell them. So they get out, go back to the Pharaoh. The cupbearer's working with him. Or I don't even remember which one. One of them survives. The other one gets killed. Those were the dreams. Cup bear survives. Goes back to the king. And the king, uh, they forget about him. Forgot about Joseph. Until the king has a dream. And then the cup bear goes, oh, wait a second. There was this guy in prison a couple years ago. He interpreted my dream. Said I'd be back here with the cup bear thing. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk when I sh shouldn't talk. So, but, but, you know, he's pretty cool. Bring him up here. Maybe he could help. Maybe, I'm just, maybe, I don't know. Sorry, I won't talk anymore. King brings him up. Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph becomes second in command. Joseph is like, big deal. The dream was this, that you're going to have seven years of really good harvest, lots of food. Then you'll have seven years of really bad harvest, really bad food. No food. Nothing. It's going to be dry around here. In all the land, all the surrounding land, you better prepare. Pharaoh says, all right, you're in charge. You're number two in command. You're number two in all the land, Joseph. You were sold. You were a prisoner. Now you're number two. Eventually, you know the story, his brothers get hungry. They're Israelites, or they're, they're God's people living in a different place, sons of Israel. 
they end up coming down to Egypt, not their uh, nationality, not their, not their country. They shouldn't normally be taken care of. They come before Joseph, and what do they do? They bow down to him, and he goes, Dogs, it's me, Joe. They're like, no freaking way. Are you going to kill us? You're going to kill us, aren't you? We sold you. We're goners. Joseph said, no, 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 no. I'm not, not going to kill you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to forgive you. Uh, I know you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good. He put me in this place on purpose so that our family and our people could be rescued. Oh, guys, it's all good. We're rescued. That's one story. Another story. Another story you may have heard of. Next story is a guy named Moses. Those same brothers of uh, Joseph uh, began to live in Egypt, and they began to multiply. Very fruitful family, these Israelites. And they began to have more kids and more kids and more kids. And at first, Pharaoh was like, hey, you guys can have the best land. We want you here. It's, it's great to see you guys. Joe, you know, like, Joe's your, my bro. So Joe, you know, I know Joe, my bro. So you guys are good here. But then the Pharaoh dies, and Joseph dies, and the people get bigger. And the new Pharaoh goes, holy mother of pearl, there's a lot of them. Like, we have to do something. And so they put them in slavery. They put them in chains, and they make them make their bricks. And build their stuff for them. And the people of God are stuck again. And they're in slavery and, and they can't get out for 400 years. This guy Moses comes along. You might know the story. He's out in the wilderness. God comes to him, burning bush. Sends him back into Egypt. Talks to Pharaoh. Let my people go. No, I won't let them go. You let them go. No, yes. But all this crazy stuff happens. And then God delivers the people. And Moses rescues the people and takes them out of slavery and out of where they were stuck and out of their problem and into the promised land. That God had someone in mind to rescue his people at that time. It's another story. Next story. You might have heard of this one. Daniel in the lion's den. You heard of that one? You just thought it was a cute little story, right? No. Years later, these people who were in the promised land, they became a nation the nation of Israel, and then this guy named Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came into town and took over, and he took them into captivity. He walked them back to Babylon. Now the Israelites are stuck, and there's a guy named Daniel who God chooses to kind of be the man of the people, the Israelites who are there in Babylon. And of course, things happen, and Daniel gets in a little bit of trouble, and then Daniel uh, is praying to God one day, and the king had been tricked into making this law that says you're not allowed to pray to that God, and so he throws Daniel into the lion's den. Daniel's a goner, right? Daniel's going to get eaten by a lion. I'm sorry, but I don't know about you guys. I've seen some of the videos of people who get thrown over the edge of the zoo, you know? It's like the gorilla, the bear, the polar bear, the lion. You know, I've seen that. They don't make it. They get eaten by a lion. Lions aren't friends with people. So Daniel's getting thrown in the lion's den. This is like several lions, and I'm sure Daniel was like, well, this is the end. <laughs> I'm, I'm a goner. <laughs> see you guys later. Daniel sits in the lion's den. The next day, King Nebuchadnezzar comes down to look to see what happened, and he goes, Daniel, any, any chance you're in there? Daniel's like, yo, I'm chilling with Spot and Fluffy, I don't know. <laughs> Chilling right here. Everything's good, man. Everything's good. What? Well, wait, you were stuck. You were in trouble. There was no way out. How did you get rescued? Hmm, it's another story. 
Those story, in that same group of people, there were these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were the ones who wouldn't bow down to the idol the king had built. And they're standing there when everyone else is bowing because the king had said, you have to bow down to this thing. He said, no, 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 we don't bow to anyone but our God. So they said, well, then we're going to throw you in the fire. They said, throw us in the fire if you have to, but we ain't bowing down to your God because we don't do that. That's not how we roll. I think that's exactly what they said. So they throw him in the fire. And what happens? Well, the king looks in the fire that was so hot that some of the men who threw the men actually died. He looked in the fire and he said, wait a minute, didn't I put three in there? I see four. Who is that? What do you know? The people were stuck. God's people were in trouble. God's people needed some help. And God came to rescue them. Another story. Next story. Hosea and Gomer. You might not know this one. Hosea was a prophet. Hosea was this guy that God used to tell other people stuff. You know what he told Hosea? He said, I want you to go. I want you to marry a girl. I'm sure he was like, okay, tell me more. She needs to be a prostitute. What? <laughs> scurry me? What? And he said, yes, I want you to go marry a prostitute, a hooker, a whore, someone who sells her body for money to other men she doesn't know. If you don't know, have your mom explain it to you. But here's the deal. Hosea went and married a whore. Now listen, listen, shh. And this is what God said. When she leaves you, you go buy her back. And when she leaves you again, you go buy her back again. And when she leaves you again, you go buy her back again. Because you know what this is going to do? This is going to represent the way I will rescue my people. That when they leave me, I will get them back. When they're stuck in their stuff, I will come and find them. And I will not lose them, and I will not quit on them, and I will buy them back because I will rescue my people. Another story. This one I think you may have heard of, Jonah and the whale. So here's Jonah. He's told to go one place. He goes another direction. He's on a ship. There's a storm happening, and the people on the, on the ship are like, what's going on? You know, uh, is, is this anybody's fault? Anybody? And Jonah's like, yeah, this is, my God's doing this. Throw me over. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, throw me over. It'll calm the storm. Okay, whatever, bro. They chuck him. He goes over. Jonah ends up inside of a whale for three days. Three days he's stuck inside of a whale. Should have been dead. God sent a whale. The whale eventually spits him up on dry land. Now, here's the deal. This story is representative of the fact that God is going to have another person inside of something for three days that will rescue his people one day. Jonah is a representation of God's main point of his story, that he will come and he will rescue his people. Have you figured out the main point yet? You got it? Cool. I want to move on to this story. And this is really, um, this is really my favorite story. This is the one that, like, when I hear it, when I, oh, it really, like, this is the one I want to central focus on tonight for just a minute. You might know the story of David and Goliath, but let me tell you to it the way I like to hear it told. So there's this guy named David, and he's the smallest boy of a family. And his brothers are off at war fighting the Philistines. And his dad says, David, I know you're usually watching the sheep, but would you go take some food to your brothers? They're probably hungry. Take it out to them. So David takes it out to him, and along the way, you know, he kills a lion with his bare hands. No big deal. NBD. 
And uh, while he's uh, watching the sheep one day, kills a bear with his bare hands. No problem. Got it. So he takes the food out to his brothers, and he sees that there's this giant out there. He's nine feet something tall, and he's looking at the Israelite army, and he's saying to them, let's go, mano y mano, your best versus me, and whoever wins, we'll take over. Come on, send somebody. He's been coming out day after day after day, and David walks up, and he goes, who's this guy? His brothers are like, shut up, David. Shut up. Okay, just what would you bring for lunch? Is it cheese, goat cheese? What is that? Give it to me. And shut up. David's like, come on, I can take him. They're like, yeah, right. <laughs> David, oh, so cute. Such cute. Shut up, David. <laughs> we got this. No, but everybody's afraid. And so here's David, and he's like, no, 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 no. I killed a lion with my bare hands. Which would have been something to see, by the way, you know? Like if the lion was coming at him and you watched, he was like, what happened? With, you know, the run, he kind of punched him and then the lion was like, lion was like oh, okay, I got to get out of here. He runs after him, he jumps on top, you know? I don't, I don't know what happened, but he kills the lion with his bare hands, right? And so he says, I killed a lion, I killed a bear, I can take this guy. And so the king finally goes, Saul goes, you really think you can take him? He's like, yeah, I know I can. So Saul gives him his, his uh, uh, armor and it's so heavy that David falls over. Like, he can't even wear it. He's like, no, I don't want this stuff. I got a slingshot. They're like, give it a what? I got a slingshot, yo. Watch me. So he says, oh, I got this. So he walks up to Goliath, right? And there's this epic moment where Goliath is looking at him, and he's saying, wait a second. In fact, the Bible says he gets ticked. He's like, you, what? Who do y'all think I am? I'm go you send a little boy at me? This is some kind of joke? I swear. He's angry. And in this moment, David says something, but it kind of like, it's this is the greatest moment in the Bible that I know. It's like in a movie, you know? Like a movie where there's a hero. You know, my favorite movie, Braveheart, where Mel Gibson plays this role. Some of you know it. And the, 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 um, the Scottish are under oppression. The Scots are under the oppression of the English. And the English have taken their land. And they're all about to fight. And the Scottish army's about to retreat and run away. And William Wallace rides up on his horse. And he says to them, I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are, but what will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? No. We'll run, and we'll live. I run, and you may live. Fight, and you may die. But dying in your beds, many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day till that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's this moment. You're watching a movie and it's like you are all in. Like these people are in trouble. These people are stuck. These people don't have what it takes. And William Wallace comes to rescue them. And David looks at Goliath, 
And he says to the Philistine in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he says, you, I put it on the screens, but it wasn't just on paper. David looked at him, he said, you, you come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin. But I, I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today he will hand you over to me. And I, I will cut off your head and I will kill you. And I will feed your carcasses and the dead bodies of your men, the Philistines, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts. And all the world will know that there's a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here today will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to me. Dang! I'm like, bad! Dang, David! I'm like, that is... If I'm watching from the sideline, if I'm, if I'm his brothers and I can hear that, I'm like, oh, dang. What are you going to do, David? Get him. Get him, David. Get him, David. Get him, you know. I'm in now. And David, whoosh, whoosh, boom, throws the slingshot, hits him in the forehead. Goliath goes down. David chops off his head. He hangs it up in the air, and he says to his people, I got him. I killed him. And Philistines, y'all better run. Because we're coming after you. And he took down the army that they couldn't defeat. And most of us read that story. And we go, oh, God can help me with my problems. He defeats the hard stuff. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this. You are stuck. And I am stuck. And I have a problem that I cannot get over. It's something I can never deal with, I can never fix, I can never change. It's called sin. It's living inside of me. It was there when I was born, and I can't get rid of it. And there's only one way that it can ever be defeated. There's a guy named Jesus Christ. You've heard of him, some of you know him. And he came down to this earth, and he looked sin right in the face, just like David and Goliath. And he said, sin, I'm taking you out today. You may come at my people. You may try to mess up their lives. You may try to make them fall in every way you know how. But sin, I'm cutting your head off today. I'm going to kill you. And God is going to deliver you, sin, into my life. And I'm going to die on a cross and you're going to be defeated, sin, on behalf of all my people. And all the world will know that there's a God who defeats sin. And so when David, when Jesus hung on that cross, he didn't just hang on a cross to die like a wuss, like somebody who couldn't handle himself, like, like a pathetic guy who just was some little nothing because he, he got defeated by the, the people who wanted to kill him. No. He had a plan from the beginning. God's story has always been that he would send someone to rescue his people from the sin they could not rescue themselves from. And you're stuck in it, and I'm stuck in it, and I need somebody to cut off its head, hold it in the air and say, Darren, I got sin. I got it. I killed it. It can never touch you again. This giant of sin that you couldn't handle, I handled it for you. You don't ever have to worry about it taking you out again. Jesus said something to his disciples, his followers, before he died. He was telling them, the end of the story, kind of. And he said, hey guys, in John 14, 6, he says, I, 
I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm it. I'm the only way. But see, the problem is for, for us and for the way we've been raised, most of us actually don't think that's the moral of the story, that, that, that's the theme of the story. Most of us don't think that the theme of God's story is that he wants to rescue his people. Most of us grow up thinking that his people, we as people, need to rescue ourselves. That we need to be better. See, we think God is a lot like Santa Claus. You've heard the song that you learned as a kid. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's going to get you, little boy. You better watch it. You better, not, you better not cry. You better not pout. He knows when you're sleeping, which is creepy. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So you better be good, for goodness sake, because Santa is coming to town. And most of us look at God. And we look at him and we think, you know what? I better watch out. I better not cry. I better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because God is watching. Because God's going to get you. You just cuss. God's going to get you. We, we joke about it. We say, oh, you said that? You're going to hell. Oh, you're going to hell. Because we think God is watching, and when I'm bad, he's going to get me. The truth is, that's not God's story. That's never been God's story. That's not the main point, never has been, never will be. The main point, as you saw through all the stories tonight, is that God, when his people are stuck, will come to rescue. That God always had a plan to rescue you. Now, I want to read you something as we wrap up tonight. This is called My Child. We've been talking about the Bible, and this is all from the Bible, and it's about you. I just want you to put everything down, and I want you to listen. We're going to wrap up tonight, and if you want this to be you, I'm going to give you a chance tonight for this to be you. It's going to take me a couple minutes. So just enjoy and listen. This is from God's Word. This is what it says about you. It's called My Child. You may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and I know when you rise up and I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered for you were made in my image and in me you live and you move and you have your being. You're my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. Some of you think you were an accident. Some of you have been hurt. That word has been associated with your life. But God says, no, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Before you were born, I, I knew you. And I brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I, I'm not distant and angry, but I'm the complete representation of love. It's, in, it's my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could. For I'm the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I'm the provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless like the sand on the seashore. And I rejoice over you with singing. I never stop doing good to you. For you are my treasured 
possession. You're the biggest deal I know. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. See, I'm able to do more than you could ever possibly imagine. For I'm your greatest encourager. I'm also the father who comforts in all your troubles. When you're heartbroken, I'm close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And I'll take away all the pain you've suffered on this earth. I'm your father and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus my love for you is revealed. I showed you with Jesus that I loved you so much that I would come and rescue you. And defeat sin on your behalf. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you. Not against you. And to tell you that I am not counting your sins. See, Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing, nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home. I'll throw you the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father, and I will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Every line I read is from his word. And my question for you tonight, have you dealt with your sin? Have you had Jesus come and rescue you? Have you said, Jesus, you died so I don't have to. You're the only way. I'm going to give my life to you because I believe that you hung on that cross and you paid a price that I couldn't pay. And tonight, I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you've done that before, would you just begin to pray for anybody in the room who's thinking about it? If you've never done that before and you're thinking about it, would you love it if you had a heavenly father who would send his son to die for you? That you would never have to worry about your sin again? Yeah, you'll fail. Yeah, you'll mess up. Yeah, you're broken. But you have a father who has rescued you. That's the whole theme of his word, the whole theme of his story, and the, and the place you play is the one who needs rescuing. So tonight, if that's what you'd like to do, I'm going to give you a chance. What I'd like right now, if you're a small group leader in here, you're an adult small group leader, if you just stand up right now where you are, and students, I just want you to look around and find your leader, the person you say, that's my leader. That's, you don't have to say anything, you don't have to say anything. Just see him, just see him. Here's what I want you to do. If in, in this room tonight you would say, you know what, I don't think I've been rescued. I don't think I've dealt with my sin. And I need and I want Jesus to rescue me. Then tonight, would you just stand up and walk to your leader and let them put their arm around you? If that's what you'd like to do, would you just stand up and walk to your leader? You don't have to. We could sit here and nobody gets up. That's fine. But if that's something you'd like to do, I want you to do it with somebody that knows you, who trusts you. If that's something you'd like to do, I'm going to give you a second and think about that. And your leaders will stand and wait for you guys. Not going to wait long. I know there are a couple that are moving. I'll let you get there. 
tonight you'd say, you know what, I've been trying to do it. I've been trying to fix it. I just can't. And you want to get that taken care of and walk to your leader. Here's the deal. If for some reason, leaders, you can stay standing. If for some reason you just don't want to get up right now, it feels awkward or whatever, I totally understand. I'm going to pray with us right now. If you want to pray and ask Christ to, to take your sin, because he defeated it for you on the cross, then I want you to do that. But if you're in this room also, I know there's a group of you in here that you've probably asked Christ to come in your life. He's defeated sin on your behalf, and you know it, and you're in the family. But you have not been enjoying that. And you haven't been feeling like he loves you because you've been struggling so badly. I'm going to pray with you in just a second, too. But first, I want to pray with those of you that are saying, for the first time, I want Jesus to come into my life. Let's, let's everybody bow our heads, and for those of you that would like to, let's pray. It sounds like this. You don't have to say it exactly, but something like this. God, I got a problem with sin. And God, I, I can't get over it. I can't get rid of it. And I understand that sin causes death. And I want to ask that Jesus, the one who conquered sin, would come into my life. Forgive me for my sin and make me the person that you want me to be. For those of you that you're struggling right now, why don't you take a second and pray this. Say something like this, God, I'm so grateful that you forgave me for my sin. Would you help me to live like I'm grateful? Would you help me to obey you? Would you help me to enjoy my relationship with you again? God, would you restore the joy of my salvation to my life? That I might want to be around you and connect with you and walk away from temptation. Just pray something like that. God, on behalf of all these students in here, whether they've just met you or they've known you for years, I thank you, God, that your story has always been that no matter how bad we fail and how much we're stuck, you were going to rescue us because you've always loved us, you've always planned for us, and you've always known us, God. Amen. Hey, would you give it up for the people in the room who said this is the first time I'd like to do this?